Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. Well, good morning, church. Why don't you go ahead and find your seats? And we'll get started. Like I said, Dave, I get excited, so you may have to pull me down. I'm not even excited right now. Who's happy to be in church this morning? Yeah, me too, me too. I tell you what, um, man, I I know God's got a word for us this morning. Uh, It's been heavy, heavy, heavy on my heart for weeks now. And um, the enemy's been trying to take my voice this week. But we're going to power through this, Lord willing. He's going to give me everything that I need to share what he's put on my heart to to share with you all today. So um, I hope you guys know what a special, special place this this church body is. There is an absolutely incredible group of people here. We have um, servers. Man, we have servers here like I've never seen. We have people that are encouragers. We have people who have the gift of prophecy. We've seen healings. Like This place is a special, special place, and I hope you know that. Speaking of special, it's a special day for me. I don't think that this has ever happened, but I have all of my parents in the house today. I have three sets of parents, and that in itself is very, very special. Um, I also have a Nana here. I am 41 years old, and I have a Nana. And she is very special to me. Uh, If you do not have a Nana, I would encourage you to get a Nana. (laughs) It will make your life that much better. Uh, But you can't have my Nana. She's my Nana, so you're going to have to find your own Nana. Um, Speaking of encouragers, so I've got a good friend, Marjan. She always finds me after I preach, and she always says the same thing. She says, uh, Kip, I enjoyed your speech. And I'm hopeful that today is less of a TED Talk and more of a word, but (laughs) nonetheless, uh, she's not wrong. It is a speech sometimes. So thank you, Marjan, for always being such a great encourager and um, always one to to bring the positive. So as I was thinking about that, though, as I was thinking about Marjan and her encouragement and the people that encourage uh, us here at Church 214 all the time, um, I thought to myself, you know, there is an element of speaking or speech giving when you're up on stage and like any good audience and speaker there is a understanding between us right there's a that you as the audience you expect me the speaker to have some sort of authority or expertise in the area that I'm speaking on and so we're in the garden series and so I thought that it would be helpful that we set a baseline for my gardening expertise so they were all on the same page. Now, everybody knows that I'm an outdoorsman. I love to be outside. My perfect world used to be to live on 100 acres. It's getting a little crowded out there lately, so we've bumped that up to like 10,000 acres with some fields and some land and mountains, hopefully, and creeks and rivers and you know all the people I love most living out there. But since I don't have 100 acres or, or 10,000 acres, 
I am actually just as happy being out in the yard, working and tending in the garden. And that uh, love, I know, started at a very young age. And so, as I said, we want to set a baseline for my authority and expertise on speaking on the garden. So I have some exhibits to share with you. This is Kip at a young age, taking care of the flowers, watering them, making sure they're getting their nutrition. This is me as I moved into some powered implements. Um, my technique's a little off there. I'm standing on the mower, it appears. But I'm pretty sure I planted those flowers. They look healthy, they look good. And uh, there's my brother Chase rooting me on. Then I moved into uh, heavy equipment. This is my brother Chase also doing his best uh, imitation of Oscar the Grouch jumping out of the trash cans in the back. Funny story on this before we go to the next uh, slide. Um, I think it was like two days after that picture was taken, uh, the, the home that we lived in at the time had dozens and dozens of enormous oak trees. And so in the fall, it would just be this enormous job of raking leaves. And so we would spend days raking leaves. And when we bought the home, the previous homeowner had piled up just a, a enormous pile. I'm talking like 15 feet high, 30 or 40 feet around. And so we piled leaves on top of that. And uh, like good, uh, responsible homeowners, we uh, lit the fire. That's not even the best part. We lit the fire and then we left and went to dinner. And when we got home, found out that the Morton Fire Department had dispatched two fire trucks to put the yard fire out that had ensued. And uh, that was the last time we burned leaves at the house, I think. And then modern day, here I am, water and flowers. Now a serious note, um, I do this, my wife will tell you, every morning from spring until fall. Uh, before I start work, I'll go out and water flowers, pick weeds sometimes, get my hands dirty a little bit before I go sit behind a screen for the day. And like any mature and experienced uh, gardener, you'll notice the crocs. Those crocs are eight years old. They're going nowhere. Those are the proper attire of any serious gardener. Um, that is what you call BDE, does anybody know what BDE is? Big Dad Energy. <laughs> that is Big Dad Energy, or as the youngsters call it, totes bussin. Is that the proper word usage? <laughs> Phil of totes bussin. Did I get that right? All right. Uh, in all seriousness, man, I, I hope that this word blesses you today. I hope that... Um, we have the opportunity to bless some fathers, bless all the fathers here today. And uh, so before we get started, would you pray with me? Father, Lord, we just, um, Lord, we thank you for humor. We thank you for your creation. We thank you that you are a beautiful creator, intentional in your craftsmanship and your work. Lord, we are especially thankful that in all of creation, you have set us apart. We are set apart because of your Holy Spirit that lives in us. And Jesus, we just pray that this word would be from you, for you, about you, that we would honor fathers today, 
In your name we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to get started. So if you have your Bible with us, with you, we're going to be spending most of our time in Genesis, Genesis chapter 1 and 2, so you can go ahead and get there. If you don't have your Bible with you, we'll have most of the passages on the screen. And so many of us have read Genesis or uh, had Genesis read to us many, many times, probably more times than you can count. And so some of this may be a little bit old hat, so to speak, but we're going to dive into a couple things that uh, I felt like were really critical for us to, to spend time on. So starting in verse 3, we're, we're in the creation story, right? So God, this is the story of how God created both the heavens and the earth. Uh, it goes into quite a bit of detail of the order of events that happen. And so in verse 3, we'll pick up there. And it says, Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and he called the darkness night. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the first day. Then God said, Let there be space between the waters to separate the waters of the heavens from the waters of the earth. And that is what happened. God made this space to separate the waters of the earth from the waters of the heavens. And God called this space sky, and evening passed and morning came on the second day. And then in verse 9, it goes on to talk about how God created the animals, the plants, the trees, the birds, so on and so forth. And then it concludes by saying that in everything under the heavens, he creates. So the account of the creation story. Then we move into chapter 2, and it starts like this. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. That's the NLT version. So I have an NLT Bible. You may have a slightly different version, NIV, ASV, King James, New King James. There's, there's dozens of them out there. But mine reads, so the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything was completed. Okay, pretty straightforward, right? The ESV, though, and many others read like this. And the heavens and the earth were finished, comma, and all the hosts of them. Now, if you were here a couple months ago when Phil preached in the Dark Corner series on hosts, and if you weren't here for that, please go listen to that message. Probably, in my opinion, Phil, one of your best messages ever. But Phil walked us through who the heavenly hosts are. We read them and we kind of, I think many of us immediately go to just like angels, but there's so much more there. And Phil did an incredible job of breaking that down. So if you're in that message and you heard that message and you see the word hosts, hopefully that triggers something in you. It's like, wait a minute, that's significant. That's not just some people gathered together. Hosts is a significant term. So like we have to do often, and Phil spoke on this as well, when you're studying scripture, there's so much more than what meets the eye. When you read it casually, you are doing yourself a huge disservice to what God is trying to download to you. So we're going to break apart that text a little bit as we're going through the creation story. So it reads, and the heavens and the earth were finished, comma, and all the hosts of them. Well, this is the actual ancient Hebrew text right here. 
okay? Now remember, in Hebrew, we read right to left, all right? So reading from right to left, the ancient text in its original form, the word shamalin, which is the first word over to the right, means skies. The word eretz, or aretz, means and the land. And the word kol means all. So we've got the first part before the comma of what is being um, described there. Okay, so we've got uh, the skies, the land, and everything uh, is included in them. But the last word right here, sava, is usually translated to mean the hosts. But here's the thing with Hebrew. Ancient Hebrew has about half as many words as modern day English has. So when we're translating scripture and there are uh, theologians, uh, people who study language, there are all number of people that study these things and try to as correctly as possible translate what's happening. So there's two ways that you can translate when you're, when you're translating languages. You can translate word for word, okay? But the downside of that is that if you translate word for word, the context of what the author is trying to tell you might not make perfect sense. On the other end of the spectrum, you can translate the concept that the author is trying to get, but then sometimes you miss out on the specific detail that the author is trying to give you. And so the perfect translation encapsulates both ends of the spectrum. In this case, though, that last word, sava, in the ancient Hebrew actually means army. And it actually means more than army. Because it has a masculine suffix on it, it actually means the armies of them or their armies. So a perfect or more perfect translation of Genesis ch chapter 2 verse 1 is and the skies and the land and all their armies were finished. It reads a little bit differently, doesn't it? Listen, I know many of us, if you're like me at all, you read the creation story and you read it almost as if it's this like recipe for baking something. It's like a little bit of sun, a little bit of stars, a little bit of land, a little bit, and boom, here we go. What I want you to take away from this is, is that from the very moment that God was speaking creation into existence, a battlefield was being drawn out. The lines were being drawn out. The armies of heaven were being drawn to the battlefield to deal with what was going to happen. Listen, God had a plan from the very beginning. He knew exactly what was going to happen. We know that, the, that Satan was thrown, cast out of heaven like lightning, and the battle ensued before the creation of the universe. And so the armies were at place. Just, I want you to picture that as you're picturing God speaking creation into existence, that in the moment that he was speaking these things into his existence, he was also drawing forth the hosts of heaven, the armies of heaven for the battle that was about to ensue. Continuing on, Genesis 2.2. 2. You can follow along with me. And on the seventh day, God finished his work of creation. So he rested from all his work. 
And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day he rested from all the work of his creation. And in verse 4, this is the account of the creation of the heavens and the earth. But again, as you might suspect, there's more there. So there's a couple of things that I want to touch, touch on in this. So the first is God was working as he was going through this creation. Now we're going to get to the word work because, as suspected, there's a lot more than just what we think when we think of the word work in modern language. But God was crafting. He was working. And so that word work in the ancient Hebrew is the word melaha. Do we have melaha up there? Now, I love this. God is speaking into existence the creation. He's creating everything that we know. But the word work is actually more perfectly understood to mean craftsmanship or in the business of. In the business of. God is inseparable from the fact that he is a creator. Think of it this way. We do this in modern culture now, right? So people will say, especially men, they identify as the thing that they do, right? I'm a salesman. I'm a doctor. I do The thing that they do becomes their identity. It's true of God, too. He is inseparable from the thing that he does. He's in the business of crafting and creating. He can't, he can't be anything other than that. And he's, he, he does it so perfectly that he's in the business of doing it. And so a perfect translation of that verse would be, and Elohim finished his business, which he did on the seventh day, and ceased from all of his business on the seventh day. God is in the business of creating and crafting and speaking into existence all of creation. So the story goes on, as we all know. What's missing? Adam and Eve. The garden. When I was younger, and maybe you were this way too, I often thought of the garden and Eden as the same. They're not the same. The garden is in Eden. They don't have the same boundaries. Eden is a territory, and the garden is within that. And the garden is meant to be this perfect place that God creates and places Adam and Eve. God our Father wants to build a place that's perfectly set to have community with his children, right? That's what the garden's supposed to be. The Bible talks about the garden being paradise. Well, what's paradise? Paradise is a walled garden. We know that the garden was walled because what? When Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden, Scripture tells us that God sets angels with flaming swords at the gates, so the garden is a walled garden. It's this perfect illustration, and it's not just an illustration, and I'll, I'll prove to you that in just a second. It's this perfect imagery and illustration of a good father speaking, laboring, and crafting a place that's perfect for his children to grow up in and to have community with him. In today's world, and I, I know I'm not unique in this, 
we're desperately always asking for an experience with God. God, speak to me. God, reveal yourself to me. God, I want more of you. And if you're not doing that, I have some questions for you. But the goal is, is that we always want to have more community with God. Can you even imagine, like just think about, about it for a minute, the ability to be in community with God in the garden, a place where at any moment you could just be in community with your father, your heavenly father. What an incredible picture. It's like, you know, I, like I said, I spend a lot of time in the morning watering plants and praying and speaking to God. It's like, imagine if I could just at any moment just have God physically present, my father physically present with me as I'm tending the garden. And so that's what God, our father, wanted for us. He created the garden for us. But that word work, like I was mentioning, um, and as God is, is doing, is that he wants to create and craft for us. And then, as we know, it says that let's create man in our image. And that image is to emulate exactly what God did. God worked. Listen, there was work before sin entered the world. Okay? We're called to work. We're called to craft. We're called to get our hands dirty. We're called to do this both physically and in the kingdom. God, our Father, wants us to do it just like he did it. Listen, the labor that God did and the labor that he calls us to do is beautiful. He wants us to labor like him. He wants us to work like him because he knows that the value is found in the work. The value isn't always found when you're done. Sometimes we, we want to rush past the work to get to the end goal. But so often the value is found in the work itself. As I was preparing this message, um, an illustration came to me that, that I think kind of helps explain this. So over the summer, Crosley had his birthday and he decided that he wanted a basketball hoop, like a nice one, to, like one that uh, you, you know, do all the work for. And so he decided that he was going to ask for money from all of his family and friends, and he was going to save up his money and buy the basketball hoop. So he saves up his money. We go to Dick's. We find the basketball hoop that we want. Spoiler alert, he didn't have enough money. <laughs> Mom and dad cover, cover the balance. We buy the hoop, bring the hoop home, unload the hoop, open the hoop. And it's 400 pounds of steel plexiglass and 40 pages of instructions. Now, as a father who loves his children and desperately wants a relationship with them, wants to teach them, wants to guide them, wants to impart the things that I know into their life, I could see that there were three ways that this could play out. The first is, I could s remove myself from the equation and let my boys tackle the project themselves. Now, their hearts were good, but candidly, it would have been a disaster had we let them try to tackle it themselves. They didn't have the strength or the wisdom or the skill 
to do it themselves. They certainly would have tried, and they would have done a pretty good job, but it wouldn't have been what it could have been. On the other end of the spectrum, as a father who loves their sons, his sons, and wants the best for them, I could have done all the work myself. I could have assembled the hoop, hauled the plexiglass up, dug the three feet by four feet hole, mixed the concrete, set the post. I could have done all the work and the job would have been done well, but I would have missed out on the opportunity with my sons to build relationship and to pour into their lives. The third option and the option we chose was to partner, to co-labor together in the effort. Instead of letting them do it on their own, ultimately destined for failure, or me doing it all myself, ultimately resulting in no relationship with the two of them, we partnered together and built the hoop together. I was able to guide them, give them instruction, encourage them. We were able to do this thing together and the outcome was we were able to build the relationship. Listen, just like our Heavenly Father, I wasn't sitting around looking around going, if only I had an 11-year-old and an 8-year-old to help me with this project, it would go so much easier. But as their father who loves them, I wanted the relationship with them. I wanted the ability to build that community between father and son and to pour into their lives. And that is the case with our Heavenly Father. He wants us to co-labor with him. He wants us to pour into him everything that we have so that we can then have a relationship with him that is unlike anything else. Listen, if we, if we do it all of ourselves, and those of us that are, have the tendency to do that, that have the tendency to be like, no, 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 God, I got this. If you're honest with yourself, it always ends in some form of disaster. It always ends in either a shortcoming or a disaster. God's saying, let me labor with you. Let me co-labor with you. Let me be a part of what you're doing. And so our Heavenly Father wants to do that just like, our, just like earthly fathers do. As I was kind of going through this message and building it out, I think that there's one other piece that's worth mentioning. And that is, is that we're going to honor some fathers here in just a little bit, all fathers, but specifically we're going to honor some men that have been fathers in my life. But God wants us to press into him in a way that the labor that we're doing becomes his as well. And what, here's what I mean by that. I know that there are a number of you here today that have been laboring in a number of different areas. Laboring physically, yes, but laboring in the kingdom area especially, whether that's in the service of the church and the labor has been hard. It's been so hard, in fact, that some of you have physical pain because of the labor. 
Some of you have been laboring so hard and faithfully, but the accusations, the false accusations that have come against you have caused you to say, God, I just can't do this anymore. I'm not able to carry the weight, God, so you need to take this from me. The labor is too hard. Some of you have been laboring in your relationships, whether that's your marriage or relationships with your children or a best friend, and you've been laboring and laboring and laboring, and you're just tired, and you just can't do it anymore. Here's what I know God was to say to you today and to those that have been laboring well. The thing that he is building, the kingdom that he is building is beautiful, and it's worth laboring well for. It's worth laboring well for. The value is in the work. Laboring well for the Lord and co-laboring him, as Paul talks about, is worth it because the kingdom is beautiful. And as messy as it is and as painful as it can be and as downtrodden and angry as you can get sometimes about the work, he's saying, keep going. The thing that we're building together is beautiful. At Church 214, we want to be a church that honors those that have gone ahead of us. My father will often tell me that he's amazed at my level of involvement with my children. And I have to often remind him that I didn't just get born this way. That it's because of the things that he did in his generation ahead of him that I'm able to pour into my children the way that I am able to. It just doesn't happen magically. And so what I wanted to do today, primarily out of this message, is to not only encourage fathers, but to honor fathers. Society tells us that we should be ashamed to be men. Society tells us that Being male is a thing that we should tuck away or hide from society because it's not welcome. Well, that's a lie from the pit of hell. To be male and to be a father is maybe one of the most important things that our society needs. If, if you're looking at society today and go, why is this happening? Why is this happening? Why is this happening? Well, I can boil it down to you to two things. We've taken God out of everything and we've had fathers not fulfill their roles in their families. You fix those two things and you'll fix 99% of the problems in this country. So with that, I want to invite three men up to stage. Um, My father, Mark Boyd, and Steve Bennett, if you would join me.
How you guys doing? So, in case you guys don't know these three men, um, we'll do some introductions. So, this is Steve Bennett. Steve is married to Melody. And Steve is my father-in-law. Steve and Melody have seven incredible children. Um, I'm kind of closer with one than the others. <laughs> yeah. But seven incredible children. These men, you'll see a thread through all three of them, but these men have labored well. Steve has welcomed me into his family as a son, and he has welcomed all of us into the family. There's no differentiation, at least as I can feel, between myself and your seven biological children. You have sacrificed in ways that I can only imagine, mostly spending uh, probably the better half of your life on a ball diamond. You probably have more hours coaching than every other man in this room combined. And you do it so well, pouring into young men and women, loving them, teaching them. And then in your own family, laboring well for your children. You set a garden around your children, Steve, that they've grown up in. And people candidly, ask often, like, what's different about the Bennett kids? And sometimes they mean that negatively, and sometimes they mean that positively. But there is a difference because of the work that you've done. As I was thinking about you, I was thinking how well you've loved me. And I was thinking about how you have, from the day I met you, never missed an opportunity to serve me and to serve my wife and to serve my family. Every single house that we've bought, you've helped us move into, you've helped us paint, you've helped us do anything that's needed. Some of my best memories of us are <laughs> in our last, in our house that we're in now, crawling around on our hands and knees, breaking tile up for days and days on end. And you were there every day helping. Thank you for that. But most importantly, what I was thinking about you is, is that everything that I hold most dear in my life is because of you. My wife is the way that she is, courageous and bold and loving and confident because of the garden that you created for her to grow up in. And all of the Bennett children are that case. And I would not have her if it wasn't for the work that you and Melody did in creating the garden. And consequently, I wouldn't have my children 
if it wasn't because of the work that you did. So thank you for laboring well for your family. I love you. Mark Boyd, Dad Boyd. For those that don't know, this is Mark. He's my stepdad. And as I was writing this out, I wrestled with that word for days. Because step implies something lesser. And it couldn't be further from the truth. When I think of our relationship, I think of something unique in the sense that it's not often that you get to have a fatherly figure that's also a dear friend. And we share that. One of the things that, I've, that I'm so grateful for with you is that you've loved my mother so well. You've loved her well. You've shown me what it means to love someone well. I can remember as a young man seeing flowers show up. You probably screwed up, let's be honest. Okay. <laughs> but I didn't know that. To me, it was just love for my mom and loving her, being romantic, doing special things for her. And that's, that speaks to me because I, I've been hopeful to emulate that, to love my wife the way you've loved my mom. As I was thinking about what I owe you, it came to me pretty quickly. You know, there's, there's 10,000 reasons why you came into my life that I could list out, and there's probably another 100,000 that I'll never know this side of eternity. But when I was diagnosed with diabetes, you took what could have been a death sentence, and you did the labor of teaching me how to manage it, teaching me how to be healthy, teaching me that it wasn't a death sentence, that there was nothing that I wanted to do that I couldn't do, except for com flying commercial airlines and being in the armed forces. You can't do those if you're a diabetic. But seriously, you did the work so well. You poured into me, you provided for me, you taught me how to manage this disease in a way that had you not been in my life, I'm confident I wouldn't be as healthy as I am today. And for that, I'm entitled to, or in, um, I love you for that because by doing so, you've impacted my life with my wife and my wife with my, or my life with my children so that I can see them hopefully, God willing, grow up and one day be a pup like you and see my grandchildren in a healthy state. So I'm thankful that you have loved our family so well. I'm thankful that you loved mom so well. I'm thankful that you have provided so well and that you've loved me and my brother Chase when you didn't have to.
Dad. Now you. I got to try to keep it together because they won't take security pastors serious if I'm up here <laughs> bumbling around like a goofball. Um, so this is my dad, Mike Bolt. And as I was thinking through our life together, it would be disingenuous to say that the divorce wasn't hard on us. This week I was thinking through the Friday pickups every other week and you and me and Chase shoulder to shoulder in the front seat of a bench station wagon <laughs> riding to Bloomington happy to spend the weekend with you and then the same ride back on Sunday at 5 o'clock knowing that we wouldn't see you again for two weeks and you didn't know your dad Jack Steve didn't know his dad, Jack. But both of you have labored so well as fathers. All three of you have. You could have just given up because it would have probably been easier than sticking around and pouring into Chase and I's life. But you fought to stay involved. You fought to have time with us. And you taught us so much. I know you sometimes don't think you did, but I was thinking through, you taught me how to start a fire and how to back a boat and how to drive a boat and how to tie a fish hook and how to shake a man's hand and look him in the eye and tell him the truth. Things that I'll keep with me for the rest of my life and teach my boys about. But what I'm most thankful for with you, you didn't give me until just recently. A couple years ago, at 63 years of age, you drove over to Peoria because you had to tell Heidi and I that you had committed your life to Jesus. And I cried then. And the lesson that I don't think you even know you gave is, is that no matter how old we get, that it's critical for us to listen to God. When he says, Mike, now's the time. Stand up and walk to the front. You did it. And that's a lesson that as a grown man, I took away is that we can never become so cold-hearted to God our Father that when his voice speaks, we don't listen and do what he says. So thank you for that lesson. Thank you that you 
labored well for us. You fought for us. You stayed involved for us. And because of the relationships of these three incredible fathers, my life is forever enriched. And I hope to be able to pass on even a fraction of the wisdom and the grace and the love that you three men have given me. I love you guys. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to honor all the fathers today. Listen, being a father is the most important thing you will ever do, hands down. Loving your wife well and loving your family well and laboring for them, even when it's difficult, is the role of the father. Just like our Heavenly Father, relationships with our children don't just come easy. Listen, if you're, if you're into gardening and you plant a garden in your backyard and you do nothing with it, what happens? It gets overtaken. The weeds come, the bugs come, the animals come. Leaving a garden unattended will not give you the results that you want. Laboring well in the garden will give you the results that you're looking for. And such is the case with children. Laboring well for your children will create an environment where your kids have a relationship with you well into their adult years and look to you for guidance and look to you for wisdom well after their adults. We have a number of incredible fathers in this church. But we all are human. We all are imperfect from time to time. And so we all need to be covered in prayer to work well, to labor well, to love our spouses and our children well. So would you do me a favor? If you're a father here today, would you stand up for me, please? And then anybody that's related to these fine gentlemen, would you come up? And we're going to pray over fathers this morning. All right. If you see a father or are related to a father near you, here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand up and go lay hands on them. Hug them. Throw your arms around them. Men, this is the highest calling that we have. When it's all said and done, I know there's men up here that will testify to this. When it's all said and done, and all the jobs are gone, all the responsibilities are gone, the house is paid off, whatever your dreams and ambitions are, when it's all said and done, the work that you did creating the garden for your children is what will remain. 
the goal, just like I have the blessing today, is that there are seven, or seven, holy cow, if there were seven generations, we'd, we'd have some explaining to do. There are four generations of believers up here this morning. Man, I, my prayer is, is that when I'm 90 years old, 80 years old, that there's four generations of believers that I can look at and say, that was the work I did. I labored well for my children. And my children labored well for their children. And their children's children labored well for their children. So that's our prayer today. Father, you are so good. And you are so faithful. And you labored so well for us. So much so that you sent your son for us knowing full well the price that would need to be paid. Lord, we pray that today that you would bless the fathers that are here today, Lord, that you would draw us nearer to your heart so that we are able to be the fathers that we desperately want to be over our children, creating gardens for our children to grow up in, standing at the gates protecting them from what's out there so that they may grow up loving you and serving you and have children of their own that love you and serve you and children of their children that love you and serve you. Lord, there is no greater calling as a father. And so, Lord, we pray that over fathers here today. Lord, we thank you that you are doing amazing things in the families represented here today, in the the wives and women that support their husbands so incredibly, that cheer them on, that encourage them. Lord, thank you for that. Lord, we pray that if that there would be anything broken off, preventing fathers from being the men of God that you've called them to be. Lord, that there would be no blocks, no door closed, no anything that would keep them from leading their families and raising their children in the garden like you've called us to do, Lord Jesus. We love you. Lord, we thank you for these fathers here today. Lord, I specifically thank you and publicly honor the men that have been incredible fathers for me, that have poured into my life, that have poured into my wife's life, that have poured into my children's life. Lord, I thank you for them. Thank you for their sacrifice. Thank you for that they did the hard work and labored well in the garden, Jesus. We love you. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for what you're doing in this body, Lord. We thank you that you are causing fathers to stand up and take their place, leading their families and following you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.